everyone gets their cravings while watching the games, and no one wants to be the one to miss the big play. Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. From the extras to the essentials, Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's that late-night snack craving or you forgot to get the paper towels from the grocery store, enjoy convenience delivered right to your door, just in the nick of time, and you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. The NFL Draft is now officially open. This is draft season. Welcome to another episode, everybody. My name is John Schmelk. Joined, as always, by Tony Pauline and Eric Crocker. Thank you for being with us, everybody. Just a reminder, draft season is presented by Tommy Hilfiger, a PVH brand and an official partner of the New York football giants. You can find this, of course, on all your favorite podcast platforms. Search for draft season. Subscribe. Add us to your favorites. And if you're an Apple podcast, please lay us down with that five-star positive review. All right, everybody, we are now just within three weeks of the start of the NFL draft. Exciting time. We're starting to get some late news trickling in. We have pretty much all the pro days but one done. We have some fan questions as well. Let's get right to it. Tony, before we get to the pro days, I know you have your ear to the concrete. Croc, you do as well. Tony, we'll start with you. Anything you're kind of hearing over the weekend, last couple of days, that is, is kind of ringing in your ears a little bit? Not much. You got to remember, draft meetings for teams just ended uh, this weekend. So what's going to happen is I would suspect over the next couple of days, there'll be a lot of news that's coming out. I mean, the only thing is, the only thing that I'm, I'm hearing that's being reinforced is Trayvon Walker is really uh, flying up draft boards. I think the, uh, from what I'm hearing, the pass rushers are going to go much earlier than everybody thinks. Those pass rushers, Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, Kayvon Thibodeau, Jermaine Johnson are going to go, could be grouped, could be all could be off the board by the fifth pick of the draft. The three offensive tackles, Evan Neal, Quan of North Carolina State, Charles Cross of Mississippi are going to go uh, much earlier. They're probably all going to be off the board by uh, the eighth selection of the draft. So I think the, the early portion of the draft, the top 10 picks, the top eight picks is going to be pass rushers and offensive tackles. You know, I did a mock draft for Locked On Network just last night. We put that episode out this morning and it was on me. We usually kind of flip flop each week between myself and my co-host, Ryan Tracy. But the first four picks, all defensive ends, yep. all edge rushers. It, it, I had uh, Thibodeau. I mean, excuse me, Thibodeau one second. I had Hutchinson, Thibodeau, Walker, and then uh, Jermaine Johnson with the first four picks. So, Tony, you would say with some level of confidence – and then level of confidence is, is maybe a little strong. But if you had to take a gander right now, the top eight picks in this draft, probably those four defensive ends, the three offensive tackles and Sauce Gardner. That's the way it looks right now. I mean, I can't, I don't see a quarter, I'm, from what I'm hearing, I don't think a quarterback gets pushed into that top eight unless maybe Matt Rule in Carolina gets his way. Uh, you know, I, I don't see a receiver. Maybe Atlanta takes a receiver, but right now, like I said, the the, the uh, pass rushes will all the top four guys will likely be off the board by five, and the offensive linemen are going to be smashed in those top uh, eight to nine picks somehow. And you think a trade in that mix, Tony? You think everybody sticks and picks? Yeah, I, I mean the only trade that could happen is if somebody offers Seattle a lot for the ninth pick, and then they move down because they want to accumulate a lot of picks. But I don't see right now a top a trade in the top eight. How about you, Croc? What are your what's your gut on that? I think there, if there is any team that might be willing to move out, it, it could be a team like maybe Carolina, may, might may be even Seattle, right? Like Seattle historically is a team that trades back. Now, typically they trade back out of the first round and they're probably not going to do that from pick nine, but we have seen a trade and I know we're going to get to that a little bit later where a team acquired another first round pick. So they have the ammunition to trade up into the top 10 or even just top eight. So I do think that, uh, there essentially will be a, a, a trade at that point. I know you said top eight. I think Seahawks yeah, are at enough. nine, right? But close enough. Uh, I, I could see something like that happening. Yeah, I think the Giants would love to go down. I'm just not sure they're going to get the offer they they need to move out of that spot. So before we get to the pro days, I think, Croc, you just... Real, real quick, that's... real quick, John. Yeah. Someone always moves. I feel like every single draft, like yeah. those top 10 teams, they're not going to stay put. And, and that never happens. And whether it's on draft day or maybe coming up soon, I'd say like teams right now that are picking 
uh, they are kind of content with where they are. And then eventually will trade come draft time or the day of the draft, but it won't stay the same at all. Like we never see that. Even last year, uh, you had the 49ers trade up to pick number three overall. You had the uh, Dolph, who was at six originally? The, the Eagles at six, I believe. And then they yep. traded with the Dolphins. Yep. And then, I mean, there's going to be a lot of that. The Bears, like Tony said, they traded all the way up to pick 11. The trades will will happen. It's just a matter of who and when. Well, in these next two or three weeks, when coaches get heavily involved in this process, they <laughs> fall in love with somebody. Yep. And then they tell the scouts, we got to get that guy. Yep. And that's when teams can get themselves into trouble. Right, Tone? Oh, without a doubt. And it's it's really, it's a shame. Because what happens is you have these scouting uh, staffs. Uh, you pay millions of dollars to these scouts. These scouts are out on the road working throughout the season, going to practices, talking to coaches during the, they're, during the summertime, they're watching film. And then they travel to the NFLPA game and the senior ball and the shrine game. It's not just a couple of month process for these guys. I mean, this right. process starts in the summertime and they, you know, build, they develop all these notes and all these opinions and all these grades on their play on these players. And then a coach will come in and maybe see the guy at the senior ball, maybe see the guy at the combine, watch a little film, disregard all the work that's been done by the scouting department and say, I want that guy. That's my guy. And it turns into ruin. Look what happened with the Las Vegas Raiders, Alex Leatherwood, Damon Arnett, Cleveland Farrell. I mean, it was basically forget about what the scouting staff is saying. The coach decides the players that he wants. And the coach is busy coaching the football team literally for nine, 10 months of the year, and then spends a month on the draft. And it usually ends in disaster. <laughs> and by the way, Mike Mayock got, and Mike Mayock gets blamed for it. <laughs> right. It's funny. All right. Let's talk about the one trade that has happened then, guys. We haven't had a chance on this show, at least, to talk about the Saints and Eagles trade. I'm not going to list all the picks that got moved because I'd be here for another you know, 25 minutes. Bottom line, Saints trade their one next year, a couple other additional day two picks uh, to pick up one of the Eagles first round picks this year. Eagles get their additional one next year to probably hedge their bets on Jalen Hurts. I think the the calculation for Philly here is easy. I don't think we need to go too in-depth on, on why they would want to make this trade, right? If the quarterback doesn't work out, you want multiple picks next year to move to make something happen. Howie Roseman likes to move. He picked up additional picks in addition to that. Really no-brainer for Philly. Why do you guys think New Orleans decided to make this trade? Croc, let's start with you. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is a quarterback. Now, we have seen... The New Orleans Saints trade up previous years. They selected uh, Davenport, yep. uh, the edge rusher out of UTSA. So we've seen them make an aggressive move for a non-quarterback. But to me, this screams quarterback. They are looking for that guy. Yes, they have James Winston, and they brought him along for another two years. Yes, they signed Andy Dalton. He's just kind of an insurance-type guy. But I think ideally they want to get the quarterback for the long term. And they potentially think, hey, we're going to have to move up into the top 10 to get that guy. Now, it's, it's interesting because to start this offseason process, nobody was saying the quarterback was going to go in the top 10. I mean, there are people who are saying, will there be a first-round quarterback, let alone two of them? Now, you can see a team, as the process continues on, maybe, like Tony said, coaches start getting involved. You said that too, John. Now they might like a guy. We talked about seeing a guy like Malik Willis in person and how that might sway you a little different and some of his flaws, you're willing to overlook it because of the personality that you saw flash through and the arm talent in person. So I could definitely see a team like New Orleans potentially trading up because they, Winston and Andy Dalton, those aren't the guys moving forward. Yeah, by the way, I agree with you. I just don't get why the Saints wouldn't have just been able to move the stuff that they moved for the Eagles pick to move up for the quarterback. It's just weird. Like, why... Why do they have to do that interim move, right? Why do they have to do the this trade first and then try to move up instead of just using the capital they traded for the Eagles pick, Tony? What's your calculation here? I don't I'm not, I don't think they're going to move up. I think basically they got into the middle of round one with an additional pick because they want to come out of the draft with a receiver and with a quarterback, maybe an offensive tackle. I was going to say tackle, yeah, because they I, lost Ron Armstead, right? Right, but I, I think they will get a good quarterback or get a potentially good quarterback maybe Malik Willis, maybe Matt Corral, maybe Kenny Pickett. And I think they're going to come away with a receiver. So I, I don't think there'll be a good offensive tackle there, at least in round one. Maybe they get an offensive tackle later on. But I think uh, they definitely wanted to come out of the first round with two of those three positions. I think they will. As far as the Eagles are concerned, I think the Eagles, uh, Harry Roseman just says, 
listen, the strength of this draft is in the top 10. It's in day two. I got all these three picks right in the middle of no kind of no man's land. Let's see if we can uh, trade them to get better value down the road, which is what he did. Your feel still, guys, is that the player you're getting at 30-something isn't much different than the player you're getting at 18? Is that kind of your feel for this draft right now? I think I it do. depends on, obviously, the, the position, yeah, right? right? But, yeah, I mean, I, I could see a scenario. I really like Kyrie Elam. I don't think that he's going to go in the top 15 picks. Yeah. I do think he's a guy that could be there later in the first round. You know, I feel just as comfortable taking Elam at pick 30 or at pick 15 or whatever as I would a guy like Andrew Booth. So, you know, from that standpoint, I don't think there is as much of a gap between the talent that you get. And not just at like pick 30 or into the first round. I mean, you can extend that until like the first 50 picks of this draft. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, and the fact is, this is if New Orleans does need to tackle. Well, in order to get a good tackle, they're going to have to move into the top six or seven picks. <laughs> That's going to take a lot of draft capital. And even if you do that, you still got a lot of holes left on your team. But I think for their purposes, uh, it is a deep draft at the receiver position. But I think they want to ensure themselves one of the top receivers, maybe one of the ta top tackles falls down. I don't think so. Don't think they take Tyler Smith in the middle of round one. Uh, but you get a quarterback, you get a receiver. And then, you know, you maybe you get your offensive tackle, Nicholas Petit-Frere or Rashad Walker uh, later on in the uh, in day two. You don't think Penning gets to them at 16 there, Tony? I can't see him getting past the Ravens. I mean, right now the talk is between 10 to 14. I could see a team trading up with the Minnesota Vikings at 12, somebody like the Los Angeles Chargers who yeah. really need a, a right tackle. The Vikings would like to move down and then get a cornerback later on. So I, I would be surprised if Penning gets past 14. Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Is there anything more annoying than having to run to the store in freezing cold weather when all you want to do is stream endlessly from the comfort of your couch? Or realizing after just going to three different grocery stores that you forgot the toilet paper and refused to enter yet another parking lot? Wouldn't it be nice to have someone appear with the items you're missing right to your door? Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's a craving for something sweet during a commercial break or you forgot those bathroom essentials, Grubhub will deliver anything from the convenience store right to your door. And you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. All right, let, let's talk about some of the pro days. We have some nice day three guys we could talk about. We're going to start with the guys towards the top of the draft class, though. All right, let's start here. Uh, the one guy we haven't seen work out yet is Drake London, Tony. Uh, the USC pro day was last week, but, you know, he's dealing with that injury. That got pushed back. What are the expectations you guys are hearing about Drake London? And how important is this pro day for him, not just to test well, but just to prove that he's healthy? Well, you remember, the USC Pro Day was actually the end of March, and uh, Drake London's Pro Day was supposed to be April 5th, and then they pushed it back to the 15th, and they keep seem they seemingly keep pushing it back. Let's see what happens. Uh, obviously, he's got that ankle issue, and they're going to say, well, he wants to be 100%. Uh, I mean, what are the expectations? Can't, I think it's a situation where a bad Pro Day will hurt Drake London more than a really good Pro Day will help him, in the sense that if he goes out there and he runs a clunker in the uh, high four or fives, that's going to hurt him more than, say, a mid-4-4 four, four time will do because you know what type of receiver he is. You know, you expect hot, good jumps. You want to see some good shuttle times. You want to see some good three-cone times because it shows that uh, change in direction. You know he's going to catch the ball well in position shows because that's what he does, and he does it exceptionally well. But again, you know, that change of direction, that quickness uh, in the shuttles and the three-cone times, the 10-yard split is also going to be very important when he eventually, hopefully, works out on the 15th of April. How about you, Croc? What do you think? Yeah, you know, and I, I've talked about this before. You know, the first guy that comes to mind is Michael Crabtree, where everyone knew Michael Crabtree wasn't a burner. Obviously, he was, like, super productive at Texas Tech, had two really great years. Uh, Blitnikoff for award winner back-to-back -back years, only two years he played. But they didn't think he was going to run very well. And I think that's the same thing with Drake London. Now, the smart thing that Crabtree did was, well, okay, if you don't think I'm going to run well, all right, cool. I'm just not going to run a 40, though. So that's never on paper. You can't charge that to me. And if I'm Drake London, I kind of follow that recipe right there. 
if they think that you're a high four or five, maybe even low four or six type guy, all right, well, don't put that on paper because once you verify it, then you can fall a little bit. I'm seeing them being mocked as high as, I mean, I've seen fourth overall. Yeah. I've seen 10th overall. And, and I don't see that with him. Maybe if you look at kind of, it kind of reminds me of like a Mike Williams coming out of Clemson. But even then, I think people would say, well, that might have been a little bit of a reach. I wouldn't take him top 10, but if people are willing to take him there based off of them thinking he might not run well, I'm not going to verify that for him. So I'd actually do the pro day and I would just say, hey, we moved it back because still wasn't 100% ready with how he's trained four to 40, but we're going to do all the field drills and do those things. So from that standpoint, if I'm him, I do not run my 40 at all. Yeah, if you don't think it's going to be good, right? Why why put that on tape and 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 kind of risk it, especially given that He's more of a size guy than he is a speed guy for sure. All right, we finally did see uh, Derek Stingley work his pro day at LSU. Big day for him, uh, based on what I've read and talked to people. He only been working out for something like three days. Still ran in the low four fours, exactly what you wanted to see. What do you think he did for himself in terms of how he handled his pro day, guys? Yeah, I, I think that definitely helps, right? You, you talk about the 40-yard dash and just how pivotal that is for the cornerback position. And for him, a guy who people, there, there's a lot of questions about him, especially, I mean, stemming from the injuries and not knowing exactly what you're getting, you assume that he's this top-tier athlete. I think him going out there on short notice and being able to run in the mid 4-4s, I believe it was 4-4-4, that's, that's solid. That's really good for him. Is it enough to make him the CB1? I think there are some people that are going to go back to his freshman year film and say, all right, if we're getting that guy, he'd be the best cornerback in this class. The issue is you just don't know which version of Stingley you're getting. So from that standpoint, I, I, I like him, and but I do think that the, the 40 definitely helped maybe answer some questions, but there's still going to be just enough questions to where Sauce Gardner might still be the number one corner on a lot of guys' boards. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean uh... – it was first reported in low four threes, four, 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 four threes fast enough for a guy like that. And when you watch the film, especially the, the, the film of his freshman year, you just get drawn into it because, you know, he may not be super duper fast, but he has almost a clairvoyance of knowing when the ball is headed in the direction of the receiver he's covering and he gets his head back around and he positions himself to make the, the pass defense. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to see. I mean, it really is because you don't yeah. have him play. He's not playing the guy's hands. He's not face guarding. I mean, constantly getting his back, uh, his head back, turned back around to find the ball and positioning himself. But as Eric said, wasn't that good in 2020 Had the injury in 2021 Regardless of whether or not Stingley ran a 4-4-4 or 4-2-4, it's going to be a roll of the dice with him uh, because of the injury, because of the fact that his best football was two years ago. You, you just don't know, and we're not going to know. It's not going to end on draft day. We're not going to know until the fall of 2022. Has he reverted back to that form where if he was eligible for the draft in 2019 and he enters, he's one of the top three players selected, no doubt about it. We're not going to know. Or is he the guy that has played inconsistent, uninspired, up and down football the past two seasons? You know, you mentioned the injury in 2021. This is a larger LSU question. I realize it's off topic, but I think it's interesting. You know, you look at Neil Farrell, you look at Damone Clark, and you look at Stingley. None of those three players played well in 2020. So how much is that is just that that LSU defense was a mess that year? They've kind of switched defensive coordinators a lot too. How much do you think, guys scouts will take that into consideration when they look at Stingley and the other LSU guys that that program was kind of a mess in 2020. You have to. And the flip side of that is look at Michigan this year. Michigan had a new defensive coordinator. How was their defense? You know, David Ajabu, who really was a non-factor uh, in 2019-2020, played lights out this year. Aiden Hutchinson played lights out this year. And the difference between the 2020 uh, Michigan defense and the 2021 was simply their uh, defensive coordinator. Now, Aiden Hutchinson was injured in 2020, didn't finish the season. It's got to be taken into consideration. And not just that. Uh, you look at, like, coaching changes and what that does the guy. South Carolina's head coach was fired a couple of years ago in the middle of the season. And the snowball effect of that is their two big-time cornerbacks said, we're not playing for the rest of the year. And LSU – all the reports coming out, hey, Ed Oregon, not going to be back. You won't be a coach here. You're dealing with that. You're dealing with a bunch of opt-outs. Yeah, guys like uh, in the previous year was Jamar Chase, where he was you know, kind of dealing with the situation. He looked at that team and said, I'm not playing there and going through whatever's about to happen there at LSU. So 
it's kind of been on the downside for whatever reason. And I do think if you don't have a tight knit group with a lot of veterans really leading that ship, it can fall off real quick. And I think that's what we've seen. And I think we saw that. And you, Tony used the word with Stingley's play, uninspired. He's not the first person I've heard say that, right? Just on film, it looks like he's kind of going through the motions. And sometimes if you don't have that leader in that locker room, you don't have that, that, that guy or that person at the quarterback position, which they don't have that right now either since Joe Burrow. I think that can hurt the rest of the roster. And the results are LSU going down to, you know, L.A. and losing to UCLA. And, and, and Ed Oregon said they got the sissy blue and all that. And they went and beat up on LSU because, you know, they're just all playing uninspired football. All right, let's do a couple other big-time guys here. Kayvon Thibodeau, after just running at the Combine, came back, did a full pro day. He seemed to check every box. I know one of his jumps wasn't all that great, but based on how he tested, that's kind of what you're looking for out of a defensive end, right, guys? Croc, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I think with him, it's not so much going to be the on-field stuff. I, I think you ideally would like to see him be a little bit more explosive, right? You thought he was going to be more in the, the tier of athletes like uh, Walker and some of those other guys were that were long, running low four fives. Well, he ran in the mid four sixes. And I don't think his bench press was off the charts either. So, and I don't question the bench press a whole lot because like, well, how much does a bench press affect a guy on the football field? But yeah, I remember asking- longer the, arms, right? So that's always tough when you have longer arms doing that. Uh, yeah, but you, you see guys still bang it out. <laughs> One coach told me, and I asked him, like, man, what's the deal with the bench press? And he said, you know what, Croc? No matter how small you are, how big you are, if you work hard, your bench press will increase. Yeah. Like, you'll get more and more reps. So when you see a guy like that, that's probably naturally pretty strong, and he's not really super excelling in the bench press, things like that, it kind of shows eh, how hard is he working? Then you see how he tested 40-yard dash, things like that. Not as explosive, but the film says he's explosive. That's not where the issue is going to be with him. I think it's off-field. And the mindset, again, keep circling back to the pre-championship comments where he said, I didn't go to Alabama because they're all about football. And if you're a third, fourth round pick and you have all these different things that you're into, teams won't care. But when you are projected to be a number two overall pick and they're going to be giving you millions and millions of dollars guaranteed, they're going to want to know that you're all in on football. And I don't know. I, I, so the, the answer of that will come with the interviews. You know, interesting thing is, is I was talking to a member of Thibodeau's team who was out in Eugene during the pro day. And I was asking him a couple of questions who he met to, who he talked to. And he told me, he says, Thibodeau was told just do position drills. We're just expecting him to do position drills. Thankfully, I didn't tweet that because then I found out, you know, he did everything credit to him and he did it relatively well. I, I mean, again, you know, it's uh, what Thibodeau is. These numbers are expected uh, and these numbers were, and he looked really good. But that is expect that is expected. Whether it's a senior ball, whether it's the combine, whether it's Friday workouts, the 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 object is is to beat expectations. If you are expected to run in the four sixes, you want to run in the four fives. If you want, you know, if you are expected to, you know, be an explosive athlete, you want to jump. And you're a defensive lineman, you want to jump in the mid thirties. The, the problems are from the athletic testing point of view is you don't meet those expectations or you fall below expectations. Thibodeau, there's a question. I'll get into a little bit more what Eric said, uh, because one of the questions uh, one of the viewers asked is about Thibodeau. Yeah, we will definitely hit those later. And guys, I'll just throw two more out for you if you want to touch oh, on. Real quick about Thibodeau. I was yeah, for this yeah. bench press. Plenty of bench press reps. He's working hard. 27 yeah, reps on the bench press. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah, or 28. Yeah, you know, just fine. Just fine. Yeah. That, that's hey, that's encouraging. Remember, the bench press is uh, is as much about endurance as it is strength. <laughs> and that, yeah. It's, it's you know, it's it, 28 reps, 225 is tough for the average person, but to do it 20, you know, 20, 25, 28 times, uh, 30 plus times, it's as much about endurance as it is anything else. And you got to look at arm size. And, you know, there are certain barometers. If you're a defensive lineman, an offensive lineman, you want to hit that 25 mark and higher. If you get below 25, People are going to start to ask questions. In the 30s, you're starting to get out into the stratosphere level. So what what me those number was actually pretty good uh, from the combine. Excellent. Excellent. All right. So let's hit two more big guys. Then we'll hit kind of your list of guys that you thought kind of caught your guys' eyes uh, as we've kind of wrapped up our pro days here. Uh, you guys could either each take one or do both. It's up to you. Do we think we see a Nicobe Dean workout at mm -hmm. some point? And you think Kyle Hamilton further hurt himself by running again and running worse? 
Well, I'll, I'll go with, first of all, Nicobe Dean, I, you know, I've made a couple of calls. There's questions. It may be an ankle issue. I'm hearing a knee. I, I can't get my thumb on the pulse of it. Do I think, I, I mean, I know there's a workout planned. Let's see what happens. There are some questions there that I have not gotten the answers to, which I hope to get the answers to. As far as Kyle Hamilton's concerned, listen, my views on Kyle Hamilton have been talked about. We've talked about numbers numerous times, so I'm not going to beat that dead horse. But the fact is this, you know, Kyle Hamilton ran four five nine at the combine and he was running to the right side of the uh, track. And everyone said, well, you know, when he gets that iron down, he'll run much faster pro day. Then it comes pro day time. I'm getting times in the four sixes. There were times in the four, there were some hand times in the four sevens. And people say, well, he plays faster than that. And I agree. I mean, there are situations where guys play faster than their 40 time. And then there are guys who run super fast 40 times and don't play that fast. But at what point in time is a guy a defensive back and he's running in the high four fives or the four sixes or even the four sevens? And you say, you know, this is going to hurt him at the next level because even if he plays faster than the four seven, well, he runs in the maybe that's in the high mid, mid to high four fives. That's still not good at the next level. So, you know, I think it's time to stop making excuses for Kyle Hamilton and call it out what is terrific college free safety who's going to have limitations in the NFL. And we've seen that before with guys like Taylor Mays, right? Yeah. Where you got this big yeah. athlete who ran well. I mean, he ran well. And he was an he, Olympic was type a, athlete, uh, yeah. Taylor Mays. And there were those questions uh, about that. And and, I, and what they do with Taylor Mays, similar to what you're saying, that maybe uh, 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 Kyle Hamilton is more of a linebacker. And Taylor Mays was ended up, they ended up moving him to the linebacker position uh, to get more out of it. So and I'm not saying that Hamilton is going to be that, but I do think there are those questions. And I don't think that they were answered with running a 474, as uh, some of the guys like Daniel Jeremiah were reporting. Yeah, I, I would talk to a scouting buddy. Um, who was on one of our shows, and he told me he talked to a few different people, and they said Hamilton's people said basically since the combine, he's kind of you know took a little bit of a rest, and he's trying to just get ready to play in the NFL now. So he didn't train super heavily for his pro day, but he ran anyway, which was you know probably wouldn't be the if you're not going to train, why would you run again, right? So sit on that time. What did yeah, what did uh, exactly Traylon Burks do? Traylon Burks say, okay, I ran a four five five, not great. I can maybe improve it, but I don't want to hurt myself if I haven't truly continued to train for that 40 yard dash. So sit on that time. Four, five, nine with Kyle Hamilton at the combine. I think most people would be like, you know what? Wish he would have ran better, but not the worst thing in the world. But then when you go out there and you put on paper four, seven, oh, and four, seven, four, now it just, the, the question marks just continue. Listen, and Eric will probably tell you, I'm a former track and field guy. Okay. I competed in the decathlon for 11 years. Training or no training, you know, you either have, you're either fast sure. or you're not. The difference in the tra <laughs> training is not, you're not going to go from a four, five, nine guy to a four, four, five guy. That doesn't happen. Okay. And he went in reverse a tenth of a, of a second that, you know, anybody who knows anything about speed, speed training, things like that, you know, it's just, he's not fast. Let's call it for what it is. He's smart. He's tough. He's got decent instincts. It's just not fast. All right, let's listen I, to the I know all about that. I wasn't very fast, so. <laughs> but you weren't projected as a top 10 pick either. So. I was not. <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't think it personally. That's, that's a big Don't part go. of it. No, no, that's a big part of this whole thing with Kyle Hamilton. It's also where he's being projected. Yeah. So if you run to run your 4-5-9, but people are saying, oh, okay, well, you're a second-round pick, nobody will make any stinkers about it. Yep. But when you're projected top 10, yep. but you're not grading out as a top athlete yep. at a premier position right now, that's what safety is turning into. Yeah, those limitations, there's going to be more questions. I think that might be more what Tony's pushback has been on Kyle Hamilton. He doesn't see him as the top 10 prospect people are making him out to be. Yeah, especially once people start thinking if he was a box safety, that's yep. certainly not a premium position, right? Like if you're a guy that's going to, you know, like Derwin James, you're covering receivers, you're playing free, you're all over the place. Then maybe premium spot, but if you're limited to box safety role, that's when people start, you know, dropping you a little bit. I think, right? And even Duran James, where was he selected in a draft? Fifteen, bottom right? round one. Yeah. So, so you know, and, and we talked about this before. You can't play Kyle Hamilton over the slot receiver. He's got limitations in coverage. Okay, that's fine if you are a bottom half of round one guy. But as I said before, this is someone that people have still have listed as one as the best player in the draft. I just I've never seen it. I've never seen it. Okay, let's get to it, guys. 
you both of you have highlighted some defensive backs whose yeah. pro days have kind of jumped out to you. You can just go back and forth, run through them, guys. And why are some of these times and and, and pro days significant to you, Tony? Why don't we lead off with you because you got a bunch of guys here. Darian Kendrick was terrible. I mean, the the, the Georgia cornerback started at Clemson, sort of uh, Derek Stingley type in the sense that his best football was probably two years ago. Was not good at Clemson in 2020. Showed flashes last year at Georgia. Ran in the four sevens. 31-inch vertical jump. Here's a guy that people thought was a day two pick. He's now going to hold on to a, to a position in day three. It's not, it doesn't mean he's not going to be a, a good player at the next level. It doesn't mean he can't play at the next level. It just means that the view of Darian Kendrick has taken a major step back, and he's gone from a top, you know, from a day two selection into the uh, third day of the draft. Conversely, Scott Nelson, you know, the pro days are as much about guys who were not invited to the combine who get to show up their skills. Uh, for scouts, Scott Nelson, the safety from uh, Wisconsin, a guy who doesn't look very fast on film, doesn't look super athletic, tested off the charts, 39-inch vertical jump, 439 to 40. So the thing with Scott, with Scott Nelson is, you know he's got the speed, you know he's got the athleticism, you just have to coach him to use it on the football field. And I think Scott Nelson's a guy that no one thought about being selected in the draft. Now he's going to get seventh-round consideration. When you're getting in those closing picks – People go to the computer numbers. The bigger guys, the faster guys, the more athletic guys. Scott Nelson's now put him in that conversation as a potential late round pick, or at least when the draft is closing, having his name called. Croc, you the guy you highlighted as well, right? Yeah, I had a few guys. One was Fayon Hicks out of uh, Wisconsin, cornerback. You know, I first got my eyes on him at the, I was watching tape on a Michigan receiver, and I'm watching this little corner. And how he's competing. I'm like, man, I mean, he's aggressive. He So I started actually watching him and taking notes on what he was doing. This was a couple of years ago. And now to see this year him do well. But then he goes to the pro day. And he really blows it away. All right. We're talking about, and I'm looking for my numbers here. Here we go. He's only 5'10", 195. So he's a little bit vertically challenged from that standpoint. And he's probably a guy that people are going to pigeonhole into being the nickel corner, even though he played outside all throughout college. All right. But 40-yard dash, 438. Awesome. Uh, three cone. This is the part that was like, okay, let's go. 6.62 three cone. I mean, that's elite. Change of direction there. Uh, broad jump, 10.6. Vertical jump, 39 and a half inches. Shuttle, sub four shuttle, 3.94. So from a, a pro day perspective, I mean, that, that's as good as it gets. It doesn't get much better for a guy who might not be highly regarded on a lot of boards, but you see something like that at a pro day. Then you go back, you watch the film, and you're like, man, he competed his butt off. He did well guarding bigger guys. Hey, does he have some special teams value to his game? And you might see him move up some boards a little bit. So I think Fayon Hicks, I think he's a guy right away to me. I loved his game already. Thought he was really good at the corner position. But, man, I think he projects extremely well as a nickel. Tony talked about Kyle Hamilton. And now you probably can't line them up over slots. And a lot of times you can't with some of these longer guys because of the change of direction and having to match and and mirror the movement skills of a smaller receiver. Well, when you have a guy like Hicks, that's what he's made for. He's made to do that. So he was a guy, he stood out right away. Now I want to talk about a guy that I don't want to say went in the opposite direction, but maybe didn't help himself as much of Rome McKinley. Yeah. Out of Oregon, yeah. safety, playmaking guy. And I like his film. You know, you watch him. He plays with really good anticipation. I think he brings that thumper mentality to him. Balls in the air. He's closing quick. He'll meet you at the ball, knock passes out. He does a lot of those good things. But as a safety in the NFL, he's a little undersized. 5'10", 192 pounds, 30-inch arms. So he doesn't really have the arm length like that. Might not matter as much as safety. But we talked about... Our guy, Kyle Hamilton, and not really running fast. McKinley ran a 4.65 yeah. at the pro day, and his three-cone was 7.12. So, again, I don't know how much he necessarily hurt himself. The film is solid, and he's a playmaker. He's like one of the top of the nation with interceptions. But I think from a testing standpoint and trying to see, hey, if they put more responsibility on him, how does his game translate to the NFL? I think there might be a few questions there, especially with his lack of size. Yeah, and McKinley's one of those guys that fit the, fit the parameters of Real good football player, just not a good athlete. There is a there is a space for that guy. There is room for that guy in the next level. It's just that they're not big commodities on draft day. I mean, they can turn out to have wonderful careers in the NFL, 
But when you get a guy that's five ten and a half play safety and he he's running the mid four sixes, that's going to hurt him on draft day. No doubt about it. Draft weekend. Tony, you could hit any of their defensive backs you want. Otherwise, jump to your linebackers. Well, the one other defensive back cornerback I mentioned is uh, is Sam Womack out of uh, Toledo, a guy who is a little fire plug. Ran four three seven, shorter guy, five nine and change. But you know, he's talking about Fayon Hicks. That sort of cornerback that you put in dime packages, you can put him over the uh, slot receiver. I have him just outside of draft. Well, he's been a real good player for Toledo for the past couple of seasons, if you watch him. I mean, he's got excellent ball skills, guy who gets his head back around, tracks the pass in here, competes, even though he's a smaller guy, doesn't back down to a challenge. He's not afraid to compete to uh, to break up throws. So uh, Womack is a guy that uh, I, I think really helped himself with not a combine invite. Uh, and is now going to get late round consideration. One linebacker I thought who did exceptionally well was a combine invitation, Darian Beavers out of Cincinnati. He's a big, forceful guy. I mean, you could just see plays with a natural violence on the field, a really punch in the face type of guy. There was questions about his speed. Scouts figured he was a guy who ran in the low four eights, high four sevens, runs in the four sixes at Cincinnati Pro Day. So he checks all the boxes. I mean, he he's fast up the field. He's a forceful guy. You know he's got the speed. I think Darian Beavers, that 4-6, if you were a team that wanted to take him in day two, that 4-6 gives you an excuse or at least a justification for giving him consideration to being selected late in round three. Yeah, and then one other guy you mentioned here too, Tony, and then uh, Croc will bring in on this too, D'Angelo Malone, who was yeah. somebody who you know ran a 4-5-5 at his pro day. I was impressed. I thought he flashed at the senior ball. I thought he had some really nice moments there as well. Um, and then obviously David Ojabo had his unfortunate, you know, incident with the Achilles. Tony, you can give us your spiel on Malone. Yeah, Malone's a guy who was sort of out of position at, at Western Kentucky. They primarily used him out of a three-point stance, and he was a smaller guy, six-two and change, two hundred thirty pounds. But he was a feisty guy. He was a good pass rush. He was a guy who got up the field. But you could see the athleticism on the field, the change of direction, the ability to get depth on pass drops when they use them, the ability to pursue the action out into space and make plays on the ball handler. Didn't run at the combine. There were people who tell me, yeah, he's not going to run that fast because he runs a 4-5-5 during pro day. So, again, you know, it's one con less concern about D'Angelo Malone I don't, I, for the longest time, I had him as a third round pick. I think he's going to go at the top of day three. Now, you know, you got a versatile uh, linebacker who can rush the passer, who can play in space, who also tests well athletically. So again, he checks all the boxes. And then Croc, you and an edge rusher that you were keeping an eye on Cameron Thomas at a San Diego State, yeah. right? Yeah. Cameron Thomas, man. He, now he's an inter interesting guy. When you watch him on film and you look at how they kind of like utilize him, he looks more like a three, four end. Now, he's not huge, though. You know, he's a guy at 6'4", 265 pounds. So his weight and height and arm length is solid. That, that all says, you know, edge rusher. But I think where he was utilized was kind of like a more of a, a elephant in, like a guy that's going to set edges and then pursue the passer from there. You know, one thing I noticed right away with him is he puts his head into guy's chest and then he wants to work his hands and arms after that, right? So he's not a guy who's going to be that speed bendy guy off the edge but he went to his pro day and he tested well 6.873 three comb nine two uh broad jump which isn't crazy but 33 and a half inch vert so he's a guy that i think showed more athleticism than what he's shown on film where on film he wins more with uh some strength and a good motor but maybe there's more in there and i think that's something that would be intriguing to a lot of scouts tony how about eric johnson your defensive tackle yeah, Eric Johnson, Missouri State. Eric Johnson went to the NFLPA game, and he was a one-man show. He was so good at the NFLPA game, they brought him over to the senior ball as a late invite, and he had his moments there. Small school guy, uh, 6'4 and a half, 299 pounds, runs a 4.88 uh, during his pro day, uh, has a vertical jump of just under 30 inches. For a small school guy who you know isn't getting the best training or best coaching, he's got the growth potential. We've seen the athleticism. We've seen the explosion on film. Now he shows off the, off the film that he's a good athlete. Again, a non-combine guy that Johnson's going to get mid-day three consideration or talk in war rooms because of the size, 
because of the fact that he can play defensive tackle, the fact that he can play defensive end in certain three-man fronts when you're using a one-gap system, which basically means you, you, you're stand up, you're a linebacker standing up over the tackle. Guy that's got a lot of a lot of upside. May not make an impact as a rookie, may have some flashes as a rookie, but a guy with that size, with that athleticism, with the ability he showed not only on the small school level, but at the NFL PA game and the flashes at the senior bowl, you got something maybe two or three years down the road with Eric Johnson. All right, let's go to the tight end class here, guys. We've had a bunch of guys test, yeah. and I'll start off with Trey McBride and Croc. I'd like to give your take on him. Ran yeah. a 4 5 through, which I think is a lot better than what a lot of people expected. Even at the senior bowl, I don't think we saw him burn. We didn't see him create a lot of separation. You know, just kind of similar to those that they knew how to sit down in space, good hands, you know, do well versus against zones. But that 4 5 3, do you think that solidifies him as the first tight end off the board now? Now, there are a lot of people that think that he was a tight end one heading into his program. Right. So, and you talked about people being surprised by the four or five, three. I think everyone was surprised by him. You know, I heard him talking about it after his, after his pro day workout and he's up there and he's saying, yeah, you know, I expected to run fast and he did, you know, obviously, um, you know, George Kittle, I've seen him come out. That was a guy who ran a four or five, two as well. You see the type of speed that he has on the field. I'm not sure that McBride plays with quite that level of speed or run after catch ability, but I think he does a lot of things well. And I think for him, and there another guy that I know is on Tony's list, we'll get to him, uh, Samari Ture. But for both of these guys, especially Trey McBride, you see him work out. And I thought he in the route, play fast. Moved well, looked fluid, didn't like look like this stiff guy uh, during his pro day workout. So I think from that standpoint, he helped himself a lot. You see the film and that shows, hey, he has a really good, well-rounded game. He is a guy you can have with his hand in the dirt. He's going to block and give max effort in the round blocking uh, game. But I do think, you know, his pro day helped him a lot. Yeah, I mean, the thing is with McBride is I agree. He doesn't play to the uh, to the four five three. He plays slower. But the fact is, you know, he can run the four five three. So, you know, you have to coach him to play to that speed. It's going to be between him and Dolchich of, uh, of UCLA as to who the first tight end is taken. They're basically neck and neck. If you want the guy that's consistently gets down the field and makes plays as a pass catcher, you're going with Dolchich. Dolchich, if you want more of the three down tight end who can catch the ball 10 yards off the field, uh, 10 yards uh, down the, uh, off the line of scrimmage on third down or on third and two, you can leave him in line to block. You're going to go with McBride. McBride definitely helped himself because again, he beat expectations. People thought he was a four, seven guy runs in the, in the four, uh, four, five, three runs a four, five, three much better than anyone expected. And then Tony, you had three other tight ends. You want to touch on, including Lucas crawl, yeah. who I talked to somebody that covered him in college and he kind of said, look, he took a backseat a little bit in his role, but he has a little bit more to give. And he kind of showed that at his pro day, didn't he? Crawl is a guy you, you think should be on the basketball court. I mean, he looks like a power forward, 6'5", 250 pounds, more of a blocker, more of a short uh, intermediate to short range pass catcher, has shown flashes, but never put up the big production because Kenny Pickett really didn't look uh, look his way. When you watch him on film and, and even coming into the year, some scouts didn't even grade Lucas Crawl. okay? You, you figure, well, he's a 4 eight guy. He's not making plays more than six, seven yards off the uh, line of scrimmage. We're at a four six five in his pro day. Some scouts had him even faster than that. So, again, the guy that big, he's got the speed. He's a terrific blocker. You know, maybe he gets into the very late rounds. At the very least, he's going to uh, he's going to compete to be a, a third tight end on Sunday. Uh, one guy who was absolutely terrible was Jalen Weidermeyer. And, and I mean, terrible would be a compliment. I mean, Weidermeyer is a guy who <laughs> people, including myself, thought could be. A Tell us what you really think, Tony. Yeah, could be a first <laughs> round pick off the 2020 film was was terrible last year. I think he dropped four passes in the Auburn game, goes to his pro day. Can't break five seconds in the 40. Texas A&M uh, is reporting that his vertical jump was 35.5. I'm told that's a mistake. It was actually 25.5. Someone who, uh, a scout buddy who, who was there said, the only thing worse than his marks, we're watching him go through this because he looks so unathletic. So Weidermeyer is a guy who people thought, including myself, I'm guilty, potential first round pick. He may not even be drafted off of those, off of the terrible 2021 season coupled with the disastrous uh, pro day. I, I mean, you know, Eric's talking before, we're talking about the Drake London. If the guy, if you know the guy's going to run in the four sixes, don't let him run. I mean, 
Jalen Weidemeyer should have just stayed home and said, listen, I can't work on it. I got the flu today because it was, <laughs> it was a killer. You know, hopefully he can turn it around and we can get to see the Jalen Weidemeyer we saw in 2020. But as of right now, I don't see how this guy's draftable. And I do think a lot of people were kind of going more off of his uh, previous film as opposed to this year. I know me watching this year, I was like, well, he's kind of a, a long lumbering type tight end. I thought he, I thought he was kind of like smooth and he could run the spots. I thought the best part of his game was just his ability to kind of box out defenders, make plays at the catch point. I thought he did a good job with that. You watch him against Alabama. Uh, you know, he had a nice little run after catch uh, opportunity there, but I thought he left a lot to kind of be desired in the sense of what we're seeing from a lot of tight ends coming out now where they are just these pure, quick, kind of shiftier guys. You talked about Dolchik out of UCLA. What he looks like on film. You put on his film, then you go to Watermeyer film. It's kind of like night and day, as opposed to what we saw with Watermeyer in this past season. Now, Tony touched on the pro day. And it, it, I, I've only heard of one pro day that was kind of like just as bad. And that was one up the street for me, the Division II kid who was a three-time All-American at the D2 level and just tested very poorly. Watermeyer was in the same kind of realm. You can't go any tight end. Matter of fact, if you look at all of his numbers, you look at his 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 uh, vertical jump, it would be the lowest out of every tight end at the combine. If you look at his 40-yard dash, it would be the lowest out of all the tight ends. I mean, he's, he's hitting like historically low marks for performing, especially for a guy who some did consider to be a first-round talent. And then Weidemeyer's throw on top of the fact, and, 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 and Tony, it's, it's not like he's some dominant blocker either, where he's nah. going to be some road grader nah. either. So, you know, if, you, if you're going to be a guy that's going to splat, you have to kind of hit those testing trade uh, benchmarks. Yeah, I, I, I was told the, the the story is he was so good as a freshman at Texas A&M. They didn't bring anybody else in to compete. So he basically it was a free ride for him. As I like to say, Watermeyer is one of those guys you bring the sundial out the time in the 40 because he's so slow. All right, and then you wanted to touch on Isaiah Likely, the other tight end, Tony, and then uh, the wide receiver, Samori Torre, that Croc mentioned. Why don't you guys hit those two, and then we'll get the fan questions. Yeah, Likely did not run well. Uh, it, it was in the high 4.7s. Some people had him a 4.80. But I think Likely is one of those guys that we talked about earlier. You know, doesn't time well in the 40, but he plays fast. You know, you've yeah. got to watch the film with Isaiah Likely because he's a guy who gets down the field 30, 40 yards and beats defensive backs to make big play. But the fact is that time is going to kind of hang over him and hurt his draft stock. Samari Torre has started his career at Montana, transferred to Nebraska, was a terrific receiver in a Nebraska offense that was awful throwing the ball, Was it went to Shrine game practices, uh, Shrine Bowl practices, dominated three days of the Shrine Bowl. I couldn't imagine for the life of me why this guy did not get a combine invite. Uh, a pro day workout, six foot one, 190 pounds, runs in the low four fours. So when you watch Samari Torre, you think, oh, this guy is a nice size possession receiver, runs in the in the low four fours, much faster than people expected. You know, you, you get what, 20% of the guys uh, who are drafted are not invited to the combine. Absolutely think Torre is going to fit into that, one, that 20% of guys who are selected in the draft, but were not invited to the combine. Tony, you touched on uh, just, you know, the way it looked at his school. He's right. I mean, the, the quarterbacks, I watched one film, and the quarterback was just overthrowing receivers left to right, just missing receivers all over the field. And he was one of those guys. I mean, it, it can definitely hurt a receiver in his production. It can kind of hurt his effort, not knowing where the ball is going to be thrown. Quarterback being very inaccurate, I think, from that standpoint, you know, it can hurt a receiver. Uh, but I watched him at his pro day, and I was like, okay, this looks better. He looked smoother. He looked more confident with his routes. I don't know if they told him, like, hey, you run every route 100%. Because at his college, it looked like, I don't know if maybe they had those site adjustments where he's looking, okay, where's this guy at? Do I settle in this area? Do I keep the route going? It looked like maybe he was thinking a whole lot, like he wasn't running at full speed. Pro day looked much more improved, looked smooth, soft hands, turned up field, good body, 6'1", 190. That's solid size for a guy, especially if you're going to run in the four fours. I think there's a lot to like about that. As far as Isaiah uh, likely goes, didn't run well. I think one thing that kind of helps you a little bit with the whole thing, four eight or you know high four sevens, you don't want to see that. But broad jump being 10-3 shows that there is some level of explosiveness in there. And maybe he's a guy that just needs to be taught how to run the 40. You know, And I don't know where he went and trained, but I do know one thing about the 40. And Tony, you could probably attest to this as well. A lot of it's technique. Yep. And if you can get the technique down, 
that at the very least can help you. I think, was it? Yeah, Samari Toure, 6.73 cone. That's terrific, right? Got those long legs. Maybe he knew, okay, there's, there's, there's steps. Four, six, three. If you get those in your steps, especially if you have longer limbs, it can help you just knowing the technique of the three-cone drill. A guy like, uh, 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 likely, he might not know exactly how to run a 40-yard dash, and that can really hurt your time. Maybe that's that's because there is some explosiveness, and he does play much faster than he does on uh, his 40-yard dash time. Yeah, it's much better than it used to be. I, mean, I used to see guys, they look like band leaders. Their head was back, and, you know, they're leaning back, <laughs> backwards rather than leaning forwards. And so much of it is, you know, the awkwardness of the start. <laughs> because if they don't yeah. get that start down, that's going to ruin the rest of the 40-yard dash for these guys. Don't miss your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. Is there anything more annoying than having to run to the store in freezing cold weather? When all you want to do is stream endlessly from the comfort of your couch? Or realizing after just going to three different grocery stores that you forgot the toilet paper and refused to enter yet another parking lot? Wouldn't it be nice to have someone appear with the items you're missing right to your door? Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's a craving for something sweet during a commercial break or you forgot those bathroom essentials, Grubhub will deliver anything from the convenience store right to your door. And you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today. All right, guys, let's go rapid fire on some of our fan questions here. Richard Ricaldi, better prospect than why? Evan Neal or Iki Iquanu? Tony, why don't you lead us off? I mean, on my board, it's Evan Neal because I think he's more of a natural tackle. I think he's got a better potential at left tackle than Iquanu. Uh, he's, he's taller, he's bigger, and he's just – I have him because he's my type of tackle – where I think Aquano is a tackle who may have to move into guard. Yeah, and you see a big body like that, you want him protecting your quarterback's blind side. It's going to be really difficult for guys to get around him. I think the only trouble that Neil might get into is when they start with like a lot of movement stuff, depending on the scheme that he plays in. If it's a power scheme, he'll be all right. If it's a zone team kind of moving, you see him lose balance a lot of times. That might be something that comes back to haunt him. But overall, if it's just, hey, I need this guy to protect the blind side of my quarterback, I would, have, I would rather have him than Equinu. Yeah, Neil's a guy who's played left and right tackle as well. Um, he's a better pass protector than Aquanu. Aquanu might get you excited with some of the domination in the run game, but I agree. I think uh, for me, Neil's ahead of him on my board as well. All right, Edward McTweetis. I love the username. Uh, how far do you think Thibodeau might fall? Is this similar to the Micah Parsons drop last year? Croc, why don't we start with you? I think that's a great comparison, right? Because everyone loved the player and everything that Parsons was. And when he was there at 12, Cowboys were like, hell yeah, we are taking them. And they got the best, one of the best defensive players in recent years to come out, very versatile. Uh, Thibodeau, I don't know if he'll fall that far, just because at the end of the day, he's, he's, it's the difference between a linebacker, which I know we saw Parsons do some edge rusher stuff and excel there, but a linebacker and the edge. Edge, I mean, they're going to be prioritized regardless. So I don't see him getting past, like, pick seven to the New York Giants. I think that's as far as he'll fall. Yeah, I, I think he. I, I think the, the latest he falls is nine to Seattle. I don't think it's a fair comparison. Remember, Micah Parsons sat out the 2020 season because of COVID. Uh, and there were a lot of teams early in the draft. We saw it with Jamar Chase. We saw it with Penny Sewell, who did not want to take players that opted out of the season because of, for, because of COVID reasons early in the draft. That's why those guys, especially Chase, who was great as the number two player on my board, uh, fell further than, than he probably should have. So I, I don't think it's a fair comparison. Uh, granted, I, I don't know that there's, I hate to say it with uh, with Nibido, that there's off the field concerns because it sounds sort of salacious, like something's wrong. The fact is this is, you know, as we talked about, John, and I reported in the comment, teams, and, and Eric mentioned earlier, you know, teams are concerned because he's acting like he's already there. He's already made it rather than working to make it. But he's a terrific player on film. So I don't think he gets past Seattle at nine. Yeah, and I, and I, real I think, quick, it's, I think uh, it's big. Yeah, go ahead, Crock. I'm sorry. Yeah, just to add a little bit more context to it. And this is one thing that I always forget. And then I remember it at random times. But 
I didn't think he was coming back after he, he had the ankle injury early yeah. in the season. Right. And we have questioned how much, you know, love football and things yeah. like that. But the fact that he came back yeah. from that and played the rest of the year, that there's there's something there. Maybe he just comes off a little funny style. But I, that that was one thing where I'm like, oh, he ain't coming back, man. Ankle injury, whatever. People are projected to be number one overall pick. Why come back? And he came back. So there's there's something to that. And that ankle injury was the first game of the season against Fresno State. The next game of the year was in Columbus, Ohio, against Ohio State. I was at that game. And Thibodeau was down on the field basically being a cheerleader and a leader on the sidelines for his teammates. Oregon went into Columbus and and upset the uh, Ohio State Buckeyes. So, yeah, I I think that's a point that's often missed on people who say, well, he doesn't play really hard, is the fact that this guy basically could have redshirted or you could just could have sat on the sidelines with the legitimate justification that he hurt his ankle the first game of the season, and he came back. Nick Bosa, right? He was a guy who had that core yeah. muscle injury, and there were people saying he could have came back. He didn't come back. He sat out the rest of the year, and you don't get the question marks about his character at all. All right, let, let's stick on the defensive ends here. I think, and I, I think I'm, I'm with you too, Eric. That defensive end position, I think, is big as a pair of the Parsons. It's such a premium spot. I think teams are probably more willing to kind of roll the dice there. I'm with you. Um, Booker Daniels, compare, contrast, traits. Um, floor and ceiling for Thibodeau, Trayvon Walker, and Jermaine Johnson Jr. How do you sort through those three guys? Croc, why don't we start with you this time? I think the big wild card in that is Walker. You know, yeah. we talked about it earlier a little bit where, you know, he's one of the worst in college football with like pass rush productivity or something like that. Um, and with certain other metrics you look at, he's one of the worst in this class. So there's there's a there's a very low floor with him where it could be a guy that's all traits. Now, what was he asked to do at Georgia? That's also a question as opposed to some of these other guys like Jermaine Johnson, like Thibodeau, where it's just like, hey, just go get the quarterback. Yeah. Don't worry about anything else. So there's there's that aspect to it as well. But as far as, you know, ceiling and floor, he might have the lowest floor because at the end of the day, we do know about the other guys. Hey, they could just get after the quarterback. As far as ceiling goes, you have to say that he might have the highest ceiling. He's the biggest one of the group. He's the most athletic one of the group. And there's still a lot of room for growth with him as well. So that's how I kind of see that kind of playing out. Yeah, I understand it. And people, people look at the stats. They look at the sack stats with Trayvon, uh, Trayvon Walker and like, well, they're okay. The guy was also credited with 32 quarterback hurries, the most on the Georgia defense. Now, I know that's sort of a subjective sort of uh, stat, but the fact is it's not just about uh, sacking the quarterback. It's about hurrying the quarterback. It's about rushing the quarterback. It's about getting upfield and having the quarterback move his feet or look away from a receiver and think more. And Trayvon Walker was the best on that Georgia defense at hurrying the quarterback, pressuring the quarterback. Maybe he didn't get the sack, but he got in the quarterback's face. And as Eric said, was asked to do different things. Gap assignment, set the edge, drop back off the line and make plays in space on zone blitzes, which uh, if you look at Georgia, their top two sack guys uh, were their linebackers. Get out in the space and make plays in pursuit. So I think, hands down, Trayvon Walker has the highest upside of any of the three mentioned. I think Jermaine Johnson is probably the best guy who's going to come in and maybe have the most sacks. I think Thibodeau is a guy that, if he puts his mind to it, could be will be better than any of them off the off the uh, off the bat. But he's got to make football a priority and really focus on, on football. Am I crazy? And this will be on my last follow up. Then we'll wrap it up here. That I think Trayvon Walker's best position on the field on third down is going to be a three technique. Like you put him inside, you man him up with the guard on passing situations. I think he could be, he's so big and strong and quick. That could be a nightmare situation for offenses, to, to me at least. I don't know. So I don't think he has a, I, I think you can use him in a variety of ways. I think you can use him at defensive end and four man front. I think he can play, uh, he can play defensive end in certain three man fronts. I think you can sure. kick him inside as, you know, your three technique tackle as your, your inside pass rusher. You can drop him off the line. You can stand him over tackle. He did all those things very well at Georgia. So that's the beauty of Trayvon Walker. When you really watch the film, and I mean watch the film and forget about the fact that he had six and a half sacks, I I mean, that's why Trayvon Walker is getting talked about as the potential first pick of the draft or the second pick of the draft or the third pick of the draft. It's not because of his great combine workout, which was a knockout. Watch the film and watch what he did on film. He did what they asked him, and he did it exceptionally well. All right, guys. Good stuff. 
Always fun talking to you. Next week, we're going to get the latest news from Tony. We're going to talk about all the teams that have multiple picks in the first round, which is more than a half dozen, so we'll have a lot to talk about there. And we'll get some requests from the fans, too. You can submit it. I'll put it up later in the week. Uh, you can submit some player evaluations for our guys, and they'll take a look at these players. We'll talk about them coming up on next week's show. For Tony Poling and Eric Crocker, I'm John Schmelk. We'll see you next time. This is Draft Season. Everyone gets their cravings while watching the games. And no one wants to be the one to miss the big play. Well, now Grubhub's got you covered. From the extras to the essentials, Grubhub now delivers all your go-to convenience items all day long. Whether it's that late-night snack craving or you forgot to get the paper towels from the grocery store, enjoy convenience delivered right to your door, just in the nick of time. And you'll never have to leave the house. Order your convenience items through the Grubhub app or online today.